Today on Blue 58, the Packers slog through a win over the overmatched Patriots, but it's another one of those games where we have more questions than answers. So what gives in Green Bay right now? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got another one of those games this week where the story of the game really isn't the game itself, but how the game fits into the overall narrative of the season, which is kind of fitting. I get my comeuppance this week because last week's game, after last week's game, I sat here and talked about how the game really didn't have an overarching narrative, and it didn't need to have one either. How much difference does a week make, though? Because it feels like, and maybe it's the opponent, But it feels like we're getting to the point where narratives are going to start to emerge. And as Packers fans trying to be smart about all this, we have to sort through those narratives to see if there's anything to them at all. And that's not to say if these narratives are ever going to have merit at all, but rather that they exist and are going to be talked about. And this is another game where the talking points end up being the entire story rather than the fact that the Packers got the win. But sometimes there's good reason for that. And sooner or later, things stop being coincidences and start being trend. And the Packers' offense is starting to look like it might be part of a trend. But before we go down that path, here's a narrative for you. The Packers' offense being a bit of a problem isn't that big of a surprise. I said in the preview that I expected the Packers to win but not to cover. The spread was 9.5 points when I made my pick. Ended up being right around nine. Three is less than nine. The Packers didn't cover. The point was the Packers were going to win, but the Patriots would keep this close. And the Patriots did because they have the offense that can keep it close. Because even if the Packers slow them down most of the time, they're still going to bleed a lot of clock. And the Packers offense not playing super efficiently is also going to bleed a lot of clock. And that's going to lead to a close game. And wouldn't you know it, that's what we got. On top of that, the Packers' offense remains a work in progress, and I figured prior to the season, as did a lot of people, not to give myself too much credit here, that they were going to struggle. That's been my expectation for a long time, and I don't think anybody who sits down and really thinks about this should be all that surprised either. Just as a for instance, my prediction for the Packers in 2022 was that they would average between 22.5 and 25 points per game. Narrow window, figured that was a, a fair way to do it. But either way, whether it's on the 22.5 side or the 25 side, that's a significant drop from the 26.4 they averaged in 2021 and the 31.8 they were putting up per game in 2020. Currently, the Packers are averaging 18.5 points per game, and they're trending up, to be fair. Outside of Week 1, they're averaging 22.6 points per game. That's better. That's heading in the right direction. It's still down from where they were last year and two years ago. The point is, I thought they were going to be down from last year overall this year, and especially at the start of the season. This is part of that. And I think if you didn't think this was a possibility, you're kind of kidding yourself. We don't have to run the numbers on how big a deal Devontae Adams was, but he was a huge part of the Packers' offense. And you don't just flip a switch and become a different offense that is able to account for not having a Hall of Fame track player catching passes. On top of that, 
guys have been in and out of the lineup in the wide receiver group. On top of that, even more importantly, the offensive line has been a work in progress. And boy, it remains a work in progress at two key positions, left and right tackle. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But that is, overall, just the one hand. Because you've got the narrative that their offense is struggling, but some good reasons for that too. But on the other hand, there is a pretty significant elephant in the room, and his name is Aaron Rodgers. What's the deal here? Not playing particularly well. To continue counting things off on various hands, on the one hand, the second half was pretty darn good. He should get credit for a fourth-quarter comeback and a game-winning drive in this game, and he was much sharper. On the other hand, the only reason that you need the fourth-quarter comeback and the game-winning drive is because the first half was pretty bad, and pretty bad is understating it. I don't think we need any qualifications or explanations of what went on or the various bad things that went awry. It was just bad. But on a third hand, we're up to five hands now, I think, there are some qualifiers there for Aaron Rodgers' performance. He, too, is coming out of the Devontae Adams era. He, too, is dealing with an offensive line that is a mess. He, too, has to contend with the fact that Romeo Dobbs fumbled the ball away pretty early in this game. Maybe they go down and, you know, on their opening script, get another score out of that. On top of that, you've got Romeo Dobbs not catching the ball in the end zone when he should have. Throw another four on the Packers' point total for this game for, uh, for in that situation. Do any of those things absolve Aaron Rodgers from playing poorly? No, but they do add to the picture. If we're going to talk about this as a specific part of the narrative beat about the Packers' offense not being anything close to a finished product yet, I think we can kind of distill it all down to this. And all I've said so far is kind of building up to this point. Aaron Rodgers is both the source of and solution to all of the Packers' offensive problems. People are going to carry on, especially this week, about how the Packers need to lean on Aaron Jones more. He averaged 6.9 yards per carry on 16 carries today. 6.8 yards per carry on the season prior to today, so that's going to go up. So people are going to see that and say more Jones, and they may have a point there. But the numbers and just how the NFL works now are not going to make that a good idea really at any point. An NFL offense is always going to pass more than it runs, and there's a reason for that. Passing is more efficient than running. It's more likely to lead to big plays than running. You can just get more yards and score more points if you pass than if you run. Not saying you do all one or all the other, but your offense is going to be built around passing because the NFL is built around passing. Nobody on top of that is ever going to sustain 6.8 yards per carry for a season-long pace. Leaving you with the inescapable conclusion that Aaron Rodgers, even struggling Aaron Rodgers, is still a better option than going all in on your running game. Aaron Rodgers averaged six or 7.2 yards per attempt today. He's averaging 7.2 yards per attempt on the season. That's better than even an otherworldly Aaron Jones. Okay, you say that doesn't count sacks or interceptions, negative plays. Okay, look at adjusted net yards per attempt. He's at 5.99 yards per attempt or adjusted net yards per attempt for the season coming in. That's very bad for Rodgers. Likely going to stay about the same after today. But that's still less than a yard worse than Aaron Jones. And more to the point, it's about a yard and a half worse than Aaron Rodgers' career numbers. Generally speaking, he's way better than that. He's only got four seasons 
where his adjusted net yards per attempt for the year is lower than Aaron Jones' unsustainably high yards per carry this season. Banking on Rodgers is just going to be the better bet. The reasons for it are many. It's still fair to say that his bottom line performance hasn't been great, but even bad Rodgers is close to as good as insanely over-the-top Aaron Jones. And if Aaron Rodgers gets back to a more normal level of performance, the rest of the offense should be better. We should get there at some point, and it's going to come. But they are going to struggle. And you saw those struggles front and center today. They just could not get it going. And it nearly lost them the the game. It didn't. It nearly did. It's part of the story right now. Whether or not it stays around is really going to be the story of the Packers 2022 season. We started pretty negative there. I like to talk about a few good things that happen in every game. Here are three of them. The run game. I know all of that stuff I just said is kind of harping on how the pass is going to be better than the run. It is in the long term. But today, the run game was really good. Patriots run defense is pretty bad. But the Packers still ran well. And that's a part of the story here too. Aaron Jones was great today. It was the 44th time in Packers history that a back averaged 6.9 or more yards per attempt on 15 or more carries. The best in Packers history that we have numbers on was Amon Green. He did it twice, uh, averaging 10.9 yards per attempt on more than 15 carries. He did it on 20 attempts uh, once in the early 2000s. It was the game where he had a 98-yard touchdown against the Broncos. Three different players also produced a rush, uh, an explosive play on the ground. It was good. Uh, good rushing game overall for the Packers. This may be a little bit counterintuitive, but the defense, I thought, was an overall positive today. 24 points is good enough to beat anybody. It should be good enough to beat anybody if you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and all the talent the Packers have on offense and all of those caveats and qualifiers and so on. They did give up 24 points on the scoreboard. It was really 17 points. I think we all understand that because seven of that came from the Aaron Rodgers pick six. There were two long scoring drives for the Patriots in the second half. That is not great. But after those two long scoring drives... The Packers' defense produced three straight three-and-outs to end it. That is pretty good. And, of course, they were getting after um, Bailey Bailey Zappi, whatever, however you pronounce the name. I do not care. Um, He's a third-string quarterback. He may end up being a good player. If he does, I will learn how to pronounce his name. Uh, But they were getting after him. They got after Hoyer, obviously. And really, uh, not a lot of complaints there. Randall Cobb finally rounds out my top three good things. Mr. Third Down. Aaron Rodgers was always going to look for him in any way, but he came up big in those situations, and he's come up big in third-down situations all year long. And it's amazing that he's been in the NFL since 1947, and people still haven't figured out that Aaron Rodgers is going to look for him on third down. Three bad things. The opening thing, the offense being a work in progress, is a pretty big negative, so we'll just count that among the three three bad things here. I want to talk about Elton Jenkins here for a second. Um, Starting at right tackle for the Packers, he does not look ready yet. I think this is kind of a situation like we saw with Jordy Nelson in 2016. He comes off his torn ACL in 2015. And at the start of the year that year, Jordy Nelson was not yet himself. He needed some time to really get his, his legs underneath him to become himself again. And down the stretch in 2016, I think you saw that player again. He was never the explosive downfield threat that he was in in 2014, 2013, whatever, uh, after his ACL. But he was a much better player in the second half of 2016 than he was in the first half. 
I think that may be what we're seeing with Elton Jenkins here. So I think in the short term, the Packers really need to think long and hard about putting him at right guard, not just because Royce Newman isn't as good as Elton Jenkins, but because Elton Jenkins right now isn't playing as well as the the Elton Jenkins we've come to expect. So that would give you a lineup of David Bakhtiari, John Runyon Jr., Royce, uh, Royce Myers, uh, Josh Myers, Elton Jenkins, and um, Yash Nyman at right tackle. That's a pretty good offensive line. If you want to get really frisky, maybe you try to sprinkle in Zach Tom somewhere, but I don't think Tom is better at tackle than Nyman is right now. Uh, maybe let him sort it out on the right side, but I think Jenkins needs to be at guard right now. This also is going to be a question of expectations because I think as good as Jenkins has been, even expecting him to be a Pro Bowl caliber right tackle may be just too much. You may just have to say, okay, he might just be an okay right tackle. Maybe he's an all-pro left guard and a Pro Bowl left tackle. Maybe right tackle, it just doesn't click for him. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that our expectations are part of the evaluation on Elton Jenkins too. How good can he really be at literally every position on the offensive line? Sooner or later, he's going to have to have one that isn't Pro Bowl level good, especially in a season where you're coming off his right tackle sort of situation or his, his ACL sort of situation. The final bad thing is is Adrian Amos uh, kind of being a linchpin injury for the Packers in the secondary. They kind of got caught playing some roster games here because Adrian Amos goes out, and who do they have to turn to? Rudy Ford at safety. Now, I don't claim to be an expert at watching secondary play in general, especially not watching secondary play from my couch with two kids around me, uh, trying to take whatever notes that I can. But my suspicion would be that Rudy Ford is not going to grade out particularly well in this game. Uh, He was at fault on at least one long completion where it looked like the the handoff between himself and Eric Stokes didn't go particularly well. I can't remember exactly when in the game that happened, but the the Patriots going right to left on the TV, uh, it was Nelson Aguilar down the left side. It looked like there was some confusion between Stokes and Ford there. I suspect it's not going to go very well for him uh, in the grades. A couple plays after that, the Patriots punch in a touchdown. Uh, Ford, it looked like, was late coming over to Phil on the touchdown run. He's not Adrian Amos. But part of the reason that he's out there to begin with is that the Packers are in such a weird spot at safety, and they didn't elevate Micah Abernathy this week. They didn't elevate him because they didn't anticipate Adrian Amos going out, I suppose. But that really means they didn't have a third safety. You've got Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage, and behind them, Dallin Levitt, Rudy Ford, and Tariq Carpenter on the 53-man roster. None of those guys is really a defensive player. They are all primarily special teams guys. And the Packers got caught in a situation where they didn't have a third safety on the roster and needed one, and it stung. And that is a problem for the Packers that could be a long-term issue if Adrian Amos has some longer-term issues um, with his concussion stuff. As kind of a side note, this is probably going to cause Adrian Amos to have, when we're we're all said and done here, his lowest... um, percentage of snaps played of his time in Green Bay. He has pretty much never come off the field uh, as a Packer. Uh, he had played 100, 100% of snaps in the season coming into this game, and that is uh, that really isn't an exception for him. He was up above, the, the I think, the 98% mark last year 
Uh, he's he's up in that sort of area each and every year. He's been with the Packers. Missing virtually an entire game is probably going to knock him out of that that range again. So what does this mean? What does this game mean? I'm going to fall out on my cop-out answer here, but I've often said that I don't know is the most honest thing that you can say in a lot of cases, and I feel like that is the case here. I don't know what this game means, but it feels more significant to the overall story of the 2022 Green Bay Packers than last week's game. It feels like this is a very real thing that the Packers have to get sorted out or else, I don't know, it's going to be a real, real big ask in the playoffs if the Packers can't put together better offense than this, if they would even get to the playoffs. And I suspect that they probably will, even if they don't ever get things figured out on offense. Their schedule, quarterback-wise, is not super strong the rest of the way. You've got Josh Allen out there looming. They should still, I think, even in their present circumstances, really contend for winning the NFC North, even if they never get any better. Um, Their defense has just been that good. But I think we've got a little bit more to sink our teeth into than we've seen in, in previous weeks. And not a lot of that narrative has been, is great. And I think that's a, at least a little bit concerning. If your concern meter is trending upward, I don't blame you at all. Up next, though, the Packers get the Giants in London. Going to be morning football for most of us, unless you are lucky enough to be seeing the game in person. And if you are a member of the Packers fan base abroad, just let me say that I am extremely excited for you. This is a really great opportunity. I just wish I could be there with you in person thought long and hard about making that trip. It was just not in the cards for us this year. Uh, this time around, maybe the next time the Packers end up in in the UK, we will uh, we will try to be there. But uh, I, I would love the opportunity to see a game in person with all of you because we have a really, just as a podcast, really devoted audience around the world. And a good portion of you are going to be at that game next Sunday. And I'm, I'm just so happy for you that you get to see that in person because... It's something that I want everybody to be able to experience. One of the driving motivations of um, well, this podcast and everything I do Packers-wise is that I want to share the feelings that football gives me with everybody. Um, I want people to be as excited about football as I am. And a big part of that is being able to see the team that you root for, if not in person, just knowing they're near. And I'm Again, just so happy for all of you that get to experience that next week uh, in London. The Giants are also having some quarterback issues. Daniel Jones is hurt. Terod Taylor got beat up in today's game. Who knows what you're going to get from the Giants this week. Uh, It's going to be wild. My one advice, my big takeaway right now, would be all of the Packers fans here in the United States, check your local listings right now so you're sure when the game is going to be on here. Sound good? Good. Uh, Let's enjoy some UK football together next weekend. Random thoughts and observations, just a couple notes from from the notebook here. (laughs) Wanted to circle back to the Romeo Dobbs catch, uh, the catch, no catch uh, thing in the end zone. Now, it wasn't, I don't think it was a catch. I don't think he, he clearly didn't catch it. He didn't, quote unquote, maintain possession all the way through. Funny thing is, the ref made made a point of, of talking about maintaining possession all the way through the catch. 
that's actually not a thing in the NFL rulebook anymore. Let me read from you uh, from the NFL Football Operations Manual, the rule on what is and is not a catch in 2022. <clears throat> Quote, a player who makes a catch may advance the ball. A forward pass is complete by the offense or intercepted by the defense in the field of play at the sideline or in the end zone if a player who is inbounds A secures control of the ball in his hands or arms prior to the ball touching the ground and B touches the ground inbounds with both feet or with any part of his body other than his hands and C after A and B have been fulfilled performs any act common to the game example tuck the ball away extend it forward take an additional step turn up field or avoid or ward off an opponent or he maintains control of the ball long enough to do so. Notes on that is that movement of the ball does not automatically result in loss of control. And two, if a player who has satisfied A and B but is not satisfied C contacts the ground and loses control of the ball, it is an incomplete pass if the ball hits the ground before he regains control or if he regains control out of bounds. That is a catch in 2022. And I think you can make a case that as Romeo Dobbs caught the ball in the air, he tucked the ball away or maintained control long of, the, of the ball long enough to do so. He just kind of caught the ball in a tuck already and didn't have to take any additional steps to tuck the ball away. He just controlled it. And I think you could make a pretty strong case that um, having gotten two feet down, that could have been a touchdown by the letter of the law. Just watching it, it seems pretty clear that that's not a catch, but isn't that kind of the point of this ongoing discussion about what is or is not a catch? That the rules don't line up with what we see with our eyes. And I think you can make a case based on the rules that are in the rule book that Romeo Dobbs met the conditions for a catch there. We don't have to wonder about any of Alan Lazard's catches. Six catches, 116 yards today. Real solid performance for big Alan Lazard. This was his first 100-yard game since that big game he had on Sunday Night Football against the Saints all the way back in 2020, after which he had that uh, sports hernia injury and missed a bunch of time and really has not gotten back to that level of productivity since. But tonight, today, whenever this game took place, right up there again. Uh, great game from Alan Lazard and just proving he can get it done in a variety of different ways. Uh, from the slot, running posts, uh, running speed out type stuff. I don't know if he's technically the Packers' number one wide receiver right now, but um, he, he's acting like it, and they, they can use him in a variety of different ways. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw a pick six today. According to Dave Schroeder of WBAY in Green Bay, the only other time Aaron Rodgers threw a pick six at Lambeau Field was a game where he won in overtime by the exact same score. That was the 2017 game at Lambeau Field uh, where the Packers won in overtime 27-24. Uh, thanks in part to an enormous catch and run by Geronimo Allison in overtime, 72 yards. I believe a career-long reception for him uh, that day. Weird game that day. One of the hottest games on record at Lambeau Field, one of the highest heat index games that the Packers have ever experienced, period. And almost for certain, at Lambeau Field, one of their hottest games ever. But Aaron Rodgers did surrender a 75-yard interception return to William Jackson III on that game, which put the Packers down 21-7. to They later came back and uh, and took the lead and, and won in overtime uh, on a Mason Crosby field goal, 27-yarder, to win it. That game was weird for more reasons than just that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had a bit of a, a, a tough game, but Ty Montgomery, also an unusual unusual stat line for him, 50 yards on 20 touches. 
Uh, 12 carries for 35 yards, 8 catches for 15 yards with a long of 5. Geronimo Allison, 6 catches, 122 yards. This you may also remember as the Josh Jones game. Uh, if you are, well, inclined to pin your hopes on 2017 second-round picks Josh Jones, or second-round pick Josh Jones, two sacks, 12 tackles in that game, two additional quarterback hits, easily the best game of his time in uh, in a Packers uniform, just really never put it together for the Packers, with the Packers, uh, but has stuck around in the NFL and has continued to just pop up on, on other rosters from time to time. Uh, also, short-time member of the Green Bay Packers, Ahmad Brooks, had a sack in that game as well. Uh, the Packers having some offensive line issues this year uh, is nothing compared to the 2017 season. How do I know? Starting at left tackle in that game in 2017, uh, Stanford alumni and former Packers late-round pick Kyle Murphy. Do you remember Kyle Murphy? I bet you probably don't. If you do, good for you. Um, <laughs> you're one of the few, along with me, who is cursed to remember Kyle Murphy. Uh, but it was not uh, one of the high watermarks for Green Bay Packers' offensive line play. And the very next week, Elaine Taylor would end up starting on the offensive line for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, at least we don't have Lane Taylor starting at guard here in 20, or at tackle here in 2022. Fine individual, great story as an undrafted free agent. I would prefer if uh, Lane Taylor was not starting at left tackle for my football team. Finally, let's close by talking about Rashawn Gary. How do you not get excited talking about Rashawn Gary? A lot of fun to watch. Just a monster in this game, even against the run, chasing down plays from behind. Two sacks today, including a, a sack fumble. Second two-sack game of his career. He now has five sacks in four games to start the season, which is a new career high for a four-game stretch. He had four in four weeks from uh, week seven to ten last season. Just it is super satisfying to see him really put it all together. I hope if I went back and listened to my takes that I, I wouldn't sound like I, I super disliked him at the time. I think there were always reasons to be concerned about his productivity coming out, but he has more than put all of those to rest. He has really put it all together as a pass rusher. Five sacks in four games. You, you can't argue with that kind of productivity. I mean, even if sacks aren't the be-all, end-all, even if your pressure rate, whatever, isn't, isn't super high, it's still five sacks. And one of them is a, a sack fumble. Just, it's a joy to watch. And it's it's costing the Packers money each and every week. But whenever he gets paid, it's going to be money well spent because he's one of the most exciting young defensive players here in the NFL and certainly uh, a great draft pick and a great player for the Packers here. I have no notes for Rashawn Gary. Everything was awesome today. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. Uh, glad we could finish on a little bit of a high note because I think there are some very real concerns about the Packers, but that doesn't have to be the entire story. Uh, I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate everybody who's taken the time this season to tune in to Blue 58. And if you're enjoying the show so far, uh, it would mean a lot to me if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. That's the number one way that we grow. You help other people find the show uh, by sharing it with them. And it, by doing so, you get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.